0: Cold Stove Podcast, live from the Washington Media Studios, Washington HQ, Washington Media Headquarters, the People Lodge, whatever you want to call it. We're live, Cold Stove Podcast from Austin, Texas. I'm your host, Brad Merriman. In front of me, NRD from the Rumor Cave. NRD, how's your Memorial Day weekend?
1: Fun. Hockey's heating up. I think we uh, we got some interesting series going on. Had some time to kick back. Have a couple margaritas. Shouts to Bobby Margarita. Didn't have Bobby's margaritas yet. Haven't been able to get up to the great white north and get a hand on them yet but uh some homemade margarita action on memorial day weekend
0: wow do you use a uh do you go frozen or just just on the rocks no on the rocks okay never frozen okay i'm not a frozen guy either makes my nope. uh i feel like i have strep throat after i have frozen margaritas
1: yeah it's a little strange i don't like the whole like i feel like i'm drinking a slushy i feel like it's a
0: child's drink at that point just give me like one a summer and i and i've had my fill
1: you know what i am getting into now this is, you know, Happy. welcome to cold stove and alcohol podcast. Stop with the blanco. I'm going with the reposado and margaritas now.
0: Ooh, okay, much
1: smoother, different, gives it a different taste.
0: Wait till you have some uh, when you're down at the in Austin. You'll have some añejo, which yeah. is a little bit smokier, almost like a bourbon. Mm-hmm. That's that's a big time uh, margarita addition. There you oh, go. Yeah. Uh, I was in Lake Naidoches, Texas. Pretty cool. Pretty cool spot. Um, had a good time. Missed some hockey, unfortunately, but uh, decided to be back in it this week. And RD, you know what I learned by the way in the South Memorial Day weekend not as, even close to as much of a thing as it is up north.
1: Yeah, well, a
0: lot it's, of it's been down, it's been summer for eight weeks here already. So a lot of things down happens.
1: south are not uh, as big as they are up north. So
0: you could say that. Um, speaking of things that aren't as big as they are up north, Edmonton and Colorado. I guess it is up north, unless you're biz, and then Colorado's in the south. But yeah,
1: I get where you're getting at.
0: Yeah, I'm Actually, trying. To, I was trying to side there. Anyway.
1: Was, it wasn't bad. I'll, I'll give it like a E for effort.
0: Was Kel McCarr offsides? Yeah, of, cor- of course he was. He was he, totally offsides.
1: I don't understand. And then you got Dave Jackson, you know, who, who does the, uh, you know, the the rules analyst for ESPN. He's on the he's on the rink. He's tweeting out videos of him trying to break it down in slow motion. He's like 60 years old. He can't skate anymore. The, the bottom line is you're going to determine possession from a guy who's like he's possessing the puck just because it's not touching his stick. He's, you have to you can't hold the puck. You can't drag the puck on your stick for the full 200 feet of the ice. Like it's going to bounce around from one side of the stick to the other. He has possession of that puck.
0: Like if, if he was mid if he was mid stick handle, like if he, if he was just going back and forth, that's that's possession. Yeah, he's off sides. Off sides, and not that I just—we have a financial stake in the Edmonton Oilers winning the Stanley Cup, yeah. which I do. I don't know if NRD does. NRD, but does. like
1: NRD has two teams. NRD has two of the final four teams.
0: Oh, okay, okay, but it's just, it's off sides. Like there's no there, I, what what's the the tag up rule is being cited and now. Everybody's trying to be all high and mighty, like, oh yeah, according to the rule, it's like if you you technically are tagging up and technically he's okay. No, You had possession of the puck. Like, I really don't. I don't understand the argument. I understand the the rule they're trying to dig into, but I fundamentally disagree with the fact that he didn't have possession of the puck like he did.
1: Do you understand that? And I'm not saying like you should. I don't know. I'm. This is more so a question. I'm trying to just segue with your wording. Does it make a difference in the final score of that game? Does Colorado lose the yeah. game if that's offsides? I mean,
0: If you look at it in a vacuum, that makes the game 6 6 instead of 7 6 at one point.
1: Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's hard because, like you said, unless you're looking at it in a vacuum of everything happens the way it does, you know, minus that one play,
0: but. Which is obviously impossible to do. It's impossible. And Mike
1: Smith was dog shit. So, do they win that? Does Colorado win that game outright either way?
0: I'd probably say yes. Yeah. But you can look at it and say, well,. Take one one less goal off the board, mm-hmm. and there you go. So, is in the grand scheme of things, I mean, it it, it made a difference. It made a difference, but offsides are not a side. That is one of my favorite hockey games I've ever watched. That's up there with Tampa Bay Florida game one of the divisional series. I think it was last year. Yeah, First with like year. if you want to get somebody into the game of hockey, you show them that, which is. Sort of like, hey, it goals. Goals work. Speed works. I, I had a tweet where it was like after every period of the series, I'm gonna need a cigarette. And then I'd quote tweet I was like, you know what, I'm I'm gonna need two. Yeah. Because, and you know what's great about gosh. that too?
1: Eight PM on the East Coast. Those two oh, it's teams. Prime time. Prime, prime time, time on the East Coast. Everybody watches Connor McDavid and Nathan McKinnon and Kel McCar and Vander Kane, who's playing really well in the playoffs right now, and Leon Drysaitel and Devontae's. Everybody in the country is watching it.
0: Yeah, because normally that it's past their bedtime. Yep. When Connor McDavid, you know, drops the puck in Edmonton, it's ten thirty. Yep. So the game needs more of that. Uh, I think that's obvious. But your thoughts on sort of the first game, and then game two tonight in uh, in Denver.
1: Yeah, I didn't expect Edmonton to keep up. I mean, Edmonton, we know Edmonton can, Edmonton can score, right? I just thought that there was going to... I had a feeling Colorado was going to win going into that game. I did tweet out after the Rangers won in Game 7 against Carolina, my early Eastern Conference and Western Conference Finals predictions, I did say Edmonton uh, Edmonton, Tampa in the Stanley Cup Finals. Um, that was my early thought. I mean, obviously things changed by the minute. That was just, you know, gut check time soon as, that, uh, soon as the buzzer sounded in Game 7 of Round 2, but... I did expect colorado at home to come out firing and they did um as for game two tonight you have to stick with mike smith if you're jay woodcroft he's been which your by goal. the way he
0: he is starting okay
1: so yeah he makes the right call there mike smith is your guy he's been historically dog shit in game ones you know throughout these playoffs and throughout his career really he's like 0 and five in game ones so you stick with him you know he was the guy that you entrusted to take this ship wherever it goes in the postseason and it's gut check time for the Edmonton Oilers. I mean, you've shown that you can keep up on the scoring end, play a little defense. You're down, you know, Darcy Kemper on the other side. Pavel Francois, uh, Francois is in the net for, for Colorado. Get to him early. Get pucks on net. I know it's cliche, but Edmonton's got a real shot to steal one on the road tonight.
0: I I even go so, so far as to say that we're, we're talking Schmerman bets here, not NRD bets. I, uh, I I loaded up on, on Edmonton tonight, plus 155 I got. So I was like, you know what, that's value. Their goalie's not there, even though it's in in Denver. I think they showed that they can keep up with that pace, mm-hmm. get a day of rest, and, and we're back. So I was impressed by um, – and I've been impressed by him the last couple of games. I wanted this sort of a non-heralded Edmonton Miller, and that's Ryan McLeod yeah. and his line for that matter. Do you think this kind of comes down to – Third line versus third line when you have so much firepower going against each other with one and two?
1: Yeah, it does come down to who has the deeper club. But like you said to your point about McLeod and, and the way Edmonton's kind of shown throughout the playoffs, they're deeper than people think. And I totally. wonder, I mean, pound for pound, you could say it comes down to third line versus third line. I think these two teams are like evenly matched there, too. Maybe Edmonton is a slight edge, but... It's so, close. It's,
0: like, just, just give me your gut reaction here, okay? Yep. So it is Fogel, McLeod, Puglia, Yarvey, third line, mm-hmm. versus Newhook, Comfort, Bur- Burakovsky.
1: Based on current performance, Eileen Edmonton. I do, too. Yeah?
0: I do, too. You know, and, and Comfort kind of shut us up last game, but that's sort of a different Two goals deal.
1: and a, you know, rampant scoring event, so...
0: And I like, I like both of those lines, but McLeod and Fogel, you know, it's funny is the they sort of play, you can tell McLeod and Fogel have been watching Conor McDavid in practice. They both do the crossover thing. They both have that like super quick stick handling thing that, that Conor McDavid does naturally that they have obviously learned and gleaned a little bit of. But I think I like that Edmonton third line right now. Yeah. And then the fourth line with Cassian on it, just going out, you can clearly know that we're just trying to hit you. That's all we're doing is throwing our body at you. We're we're gonna make this shift hurt. And if they continue to do that, even though Colorado high flying game one, you get three or four games of that, you get banged up. You yeah. get sick of it. You get sick of chasing the puck in your defensive zone and getting smoked by Zach Cassian, Josh Archibald. So
1: Edmonton, listen, I like I said, <laughs> gut check right after game seven and round two. I had Edmonton beaten Colorado and people were like, No shot. Edmonton's a good team, and what's, what's crazy to think is they've gotten this far with Mike Smith and been able to keep up in the offensive end. Could you imagine if they went out and acquired a good goaltender? I don't I think there'd be a question right now that if they had a great goaltender, they'd be far and away the Stanley Cup favorites at this point. Well,
0: the, that's what the whole last week has been about, right, is is what if Jacob Marstrom didn't tell them two hours before free agency started that he was going to be a Calgary Flame? Mm-hmm. Like If, if Jacob Marstrom's the, the Edmonton Oilers goaltender right now, you know, that's obviously hypothetical thinking, but that's a, a dynamite team. Yeah. Even though Mike Smith, like give him credit, he's Mike Smith, and he's gonna he's going to steal a game and just be sprawled out and parts gonna be hitting the, his back. Yeah. And it's gonna work. But I'll tell you what, it it's gonna be a fun series moving forward. I I like the Backup goalie tonight, I think Edmonton, that gives them a little confidence. If they can steal one in Colorado, they know that they're set up for the rest of the series. That's why I think the thinking is there for Edmonton tonight. And they can make me look like an idiot, so we'll see. Mm -hmm. Um, The series that is going on across from them is New York and Tampa, NRD. If you told me New York was going to win the first game 6-2, I don't know if I'd believe you. Does this kind of reek of Tampa having too much time off in your opinion and they need a little bit a little bit of grease on the wheels or is this a a genuine concern in Florida
1: I don't think it's a genuine concern if I told you that I wouldn't have believed myself either I I was shocked by the way the Rangers performed in game one Tampa did and I just saw an interesting stat I you know scroll through my phone and see who to attribute it to but people out there will find it anyway that Tampa still outshot the Rangers like ten to three or ten to two from the, from the high slot. So Tampa still got the chances. Chasturkin was outstanding in Game One. He really was. Um, what really concerned not concerned long term, but concerned me was Tampa didn't look like a team that was you know had dust and they were on the shelf for a while. Andre Vasilevsky looked like a goalie who hadn't seen game speed shots in nine days. I think yeah. that was the most concerning thing today. He skates before Tampa Bay's practice with the goaltending coach doesn't participate in Tampa's, you know, main practice today at MSG. So, I mean, if anything, my concern is not the team. It's Andre Vasilevsky being on the shelf for nine days. He looked like a goaltender who had not seen game speed play in that long. Not the team necessarily, but the goaltender himself. That's the only concern I have. But yeah, I'd be shocked too, to say that the Rangers, you know, went out there and just beat down Tampa. And they had an answer for everything Tampa did, right? In the first period, the first, you know, first 25, 30 minutes of that game, it went back and forth. The Rangers got a lead, then Tampa came back, then the Rangers took a 2-1 lead, Tampa came back. And then from there, the Rangers just, it was all systems go. They played Decalant style of hockey that we saw in Vegas when Vegas went on their Stanley Cup run. And they just beat down teams, large in part, to the kid line. I mean, Filipino looks like a different Filipino. It looks like they just took somebody else's DNA and implanted it in Filipino.
0: And not the uh, perpetual trade bait Filipino. Yeah. He's a, a a legit player for this team now.
1: Different player. And to his credit, and, you know, there's a lot of, you know, not bust talk around Alexi Lafreniere, but he hasn't lived up to the hype that he once was touted as a generational talent. talent. He looks like a number one overall pick, not necessarily on the score sheet. But everything we talked about Lafreniere potentially being before he was drafted to the Rangers with his off-the-puck skills, his leadership, his grit, the way he was almost um, very, very poor man's very, very rough comparison. Sidney Crosby-like with the, you know, the Ramuski comparison there, leader of a team of what he can do on the ice without the puck. Lafreniere has done that for that kid line and it generated, you know, into two goals for Phil Pito last night. Lafreniere had a pair of points. And I'm going to be honest with you, I If you're talking who's the favorite to win the Stanley Cup after Game 1's on both sides, I think you could say the New York Rangers. Wow.
0: Look at – how about that drop? Yeah. I mean, I, I, until I, I'm how proven I disagree? otherwise. Yeah, how, how, how would I disagree with you? Uh, until Tampa loses at home, though, I'm not going to – I don't think, I, don't think I will agree with you, but yeah. –
1: This is going to be a series. Tampa's going to come out firing in Game 2. I wouldn't be surprised to see Tampa take it. I think for the New York Rangers, if they can take Game 2 – then you have to go less than five hundred the rest of the way, and you win a Stanley Cup. So,
0: I, I, you know you're you're not wrong. Um, Does does Lafreniere get a little bit of the we forget he's twenty syndrome? Big time coming into the league and going immediately to the league like, Rasmus Dahlin, same thing. Um, Lafreniere, like it's it's hard to be an eighteen year old in a men's league right away after you've only played junior. It's like some of the kids like Rasmus Dahlén's played even you would even expect him to be better because he's played with men in Sweden in the SHL but still not the same like speed the you're right yeah right you you forget that these kids are kids mm-hmm. and i think a lot of people i i know i know buffalo fans are impatient myself being one of them but we we got to remember like like Tage Thompson breaking out at 25 or 26 makes sense mm-hmm. because that's when you're you're physically and mentally kind of peaking as a as a development. Yeah, kind of. As an so uh, that's that's why I think Lafreniere I I wouldn't be surprised to see him have a year like next year where all of a sudden we're saying holy shit Lafreniere's top 10 points. Holy shit Lafreniere's top 10, you know, silky kind of stuff. And then I know that's not his main game, but he's smart enough to be that kind of guy, he right?
1: can be. And that was, you know, the concern with Lafreniere has always been his skating. He wasn't the best skater, mm-hmm. but he was for right or wrong reasons, hyped up as this generational talent. Maybe that was because after the McDavid and Matthews draft, we didn't have a guy for a couple of years. And, you know, that's no discredit to Rasmus Dahlin and your Buffalo Sabres. But Lafreniere was the big next one, right? He was the captain at Ramouski. So was Sidney Crosby. He was young. He was, you know, he's been the guy there. So he was thrown onto the scene as, hey, this is going to be the next one. He hasn't looked it totally. And I mean, there's no shame in saying that. I wouldn't say he's a bust. And in fact, what he's doing in the playoffs, like I said, I think he actually is starting to look like that generational leader on the ice that does a lot more similar to Sidney's game where he does a lot more away from the puck and sets up plays and creates offense. And he's not necessarily the guy that's on the score sheet, you know.
0: Totally agree. Um, Who do you think is the most important New York Ranger over the next two weeks? I'm going to give you three. Yep. Tyler Mott, Barkley Goodrow, or Ryan Reeves? Tyler Mott. What a pickup. He's and he's kind of like if you think about the 12 forwards on the on the 12 starting forwards, he's probably the last guy you think of. Yeah, but he's been playing out of his mind like the last three or four games. He seems to be everywhere, especially with that line.
1: Something changed. You know, obviously we know what it is. I'm just saying like something changed in the New York Rangers when Tyler Mott came back from his injury because he was he played in like two games post deadline. Ben was hurt and came back game five in the Pittsburgh series. Mm-hmm. Something changed when Tyler Mott entered the lineup and mm-hmm. the Rangers were able to ride that wave, that depth that they had and the co- how comfortable they were with him on that fourth line to the Carolina series. And then something changed again when Barclay Goodrow stepped onto the ice in game six or game five, I think, in Carolina. Uh, no, game six. I'm sorry. Game six in MSG was Goodrow's first game back. It changed again. The Rangers dominated game six. They went on the road and dominated game seven. and. To me personally, and to kind of close up my point as the Rangers being the favorite right now, can we start saying that the line of Mott, uh, Goodrow, and Ryan Reeves, which Ryan Reeves is Ryan Reeves, right? He's not the most skilled player, but you have to be somewhat skilled and fast enough to keep up in today's NHL. You can't just be Marty McSorley out there.
0: He certainly makes the kid line a little bit faster, right?
1: Is that on par with what we saw out of Tampa these last two Stanley Cup runs that they had? It's a great fourth line. They have great depth. And that's part of why I'm saying that the Rangers appear to be the team to be right now. Because when you have a fourth line like Mott, Gaudreau, and Reeves, they can go out there and provide a little bit of offense through Mott, and Gaudreau just blocks every shot that comes his way. And Reeves is just going to scare everybody on the ice and hit them after, you know, three seconds after they get rid of the puck. Like that's, that's how you win a Stanley Cup. Right. And that's, to my point, why I think the Rangers are one of the favorites if not be the favorite right now and largely like you said tyler mott the most important new york ranger
0: you know who may be the most important tampa bay lightning Uh, a guy who's been seen practicing you might know him as Braden point does he get into the series i don't think he does what makes you say that uh
1: let's this is, i don't think he does we'll just leave it at okay
0: that. we'll we'll leave it at that uh Braden point it's nice to a little bit of gamesmanship perhaps that oh yeah he's on the ice you know he's doing something a little bit of gamesmanship there i would imagine i will
1: okay so <laughs> i don't want to say too much because i'll get no no in no, no no don't but don't all get right i could go i could get one more point in okay he was hurt last year in the playoffs, and he was on that game management thing where he'd sit two games, he'd come back when they needed him, you know, mm-hmm. pivotal game three, game four, to turn the series back home. He'd come in, and then he'd be out for a couple of games. Similar situation to that. I just don't think he has the ability to come back for those every once in a while games throughout the rest of this, this postseason. I think he's in, uh, He's injured. He's not hurt, he's Well,
0: injured. I was going to say, we'll leave it right there. Does that give Anthony Sorelli a gigantic payday? Come, let's see, 2023, he'll be an RFA.
1: Yeah, and I would say, well, is it going to come from Tampa? By the way, per, he's an RFA. perennially,
0: like, oh, Anthony Sorelli could be traded. Ooh, like he was kind of the next Tyler Johnson, right? Where it's like, yeah, he's really good. We're not going to be able to afford him. Like, he's going to be the trade bait. He's sort of been that Filipino. Now he's centering the first line. Mm-hmm. So does, does that mean Anthony Sorelli is sort of the breakout player for the Tampa Bay Lightning this, this postseason?
1: Yeah, he's ex- he's been extremely important for Tampa, especially after Point went out in Game 7 against Toronto. He's going to get paid, and he's going to get paid by Tampa because he's an RFA under control. Now, if he was a UFA, I'd say he'd go out and get you know six and a half, seven on the open market with the performance mm-hmm. he has right now. The only thing, and this is no slight against Anthony Sorelli, but I was having this conversation the other day. Do we... Braden Point aside, because Braden Point has proven he can generate offense and he's elite in his own right. He's skilled. He's a fast player. Historically speaking, since Kucherov came into the league and maybe even a little bit longer with Stamkos, have we been penchant to hype up whoever gets thrown in on the line with, you know, Kucherov and Stamkos? Like, I think of Vlad Nemestikov. Yes, absolutely.
0: Vlad Nemestikov is a
1: guy who was a 70, 80-point scorer on that line, goes to New York in that Ryan McDonough trade, fizzles out, and now he's just, you know... One year, 1.5, bouncing all around the league, you know? Mm-hmm. So that's that's my thing with Sorelli. Now, I'm not saying Anthony Sorelli is susceptible to fall into that trap. It's just, to me, Braden Point is the only guy that has proven that he's elite with or without those guys. Every other center that's played with them so far, I think you could say, well, he's playing with Steven Stamkos and Nikita Kucherov.
0: You're not wrong. Uh, speaking of guys that have fizzled out, you know who I deep, uh, deep dove on yesterday? Late on me. He- he used to play with a very talented forward in Edmonton. That's Niall Yakupov. Remember him? Oh yeah, little first run with pick. Uh, yeah, little run with Edmonton and then Colorado.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Niall Yakupov still in uh, playing in Russia currently.
1: Oh, there you go. Well, good for him.
0: By the way, speaking of before we jump in, I want to talk Carolina. But before we do that, this is not a sponsor thing. Uh, Buffalo Sabers news. F- former. Buffalo Sabres prospect, which still technically they hold his rights. Defenseman Lawrence Pilot, mm-hmm. playing for Tractor in the KHL, yep. currently wants out. Ooh. And we kind of wrote him off as like he he left the Buffalo development system because he's like, fuck playing in, in Rochester. No offense to Rochester. Great city. But I don't, I don't, I don't want to be here. Great city, the flower city. They uh, they basically were like, well, you're not going to play in Buffalo right now. And he's like, well, your team sucks. Why aren't I playing? I'm, I'm playing for the Amherst. When I did get looks in Buffalo, he was fantastic. Got kept getting sent down under the um, Kruger regime, right? Uh, and now the Swede wants to come back, mm-hmm. according to reports. For, it was a, a very funny, like there's the Russian rooster or some publication out of uh, that covers the KHL was like, yeah, Lawrence Pilot wants to get out and come back. So the, an already good Buffalo decor pending another, you know an addition of an RFA or a UFA this year could get even better with a guy who's ready to step in tomorrow in Lawrence pilot uh so that's my news there but let's get back on track goodbye Carolina the hurricanes are no longer what happened to them in game seven and RD
1: so I I think that when you win when you're six and0 at home in the playoffs <laughs> and you're oh and Five on the road going into a game 7 or 0-6 or 0-7, I don't even know what the fuck they were at that point. You, like, it's not sustainable. Teams now figure out your game plan. This is how you play on the road. This is how you play on home. This is what they do differently. And the Rangers have a great film staff they had, even under David Quinn. They've always, you know... I don't is know, one of I'm them a, you? No, I am not on the Rangers <laughs> film staff, but I, I did notice some things.
0: Uh, okay. You know,
1: they haven't really... Divulge too much in the analytics department but their film staff is still great in new york and they were able to note what carolina does at home that they don't do on the road that the rangers are able to take advantage of carolina didn't give them another look at home and another look on the road they were the same team from game one in the boston series all the way through to game seven in the series against new york it took some time for teams to figure it out but the rangers finally were the team that figured out carolina how they play at home how they like to forecheck how to like they you know smother teams at the attacking blue line Keep them back. Don't let them break into the zone. The Rangers figured it out, and then they just played around him. Now, did they get some help by way of uh, Jacob Trouba laying out Seth Jarvis? And it, in my opinion, clean hit, and we can discuss this.
0: No, I agree with you. No, nothing to discuss. Did they get opinion.
1: help there, and he's crawling off the ice, and they call a too, too many men penalty on Carolina? Yeah, they get help there.
0: Do they get help from Antti Ranta getting hurt? Yeah. yeah. They get help there, but too. But
1: you can say that the game, you know, the Rangers probably took the air to that building way before that, Um I would say, if anything, Strom, the third goal right when Coach came into the game was the dagger at that point. But, like, Carolina just gave the Rangers the same looks at home and on the road. The Rangers finally figured out what they were doing at home and was able to stop them. It wasn't like they had anything else to go off of. So I think it's just a tall tale of when you're that successful at home and when you're that terrible on the road, eventually a team's going to figure you out.
0: Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I I never realized – well, I guess I did, but I never think I saw the stats – like seven or eight out of ten times, the the team that scores first in Game Sevens wins the series. Seventy
1: five percent, and 0. so it's one like, win percentage.
0: Yeah, and and so you got to imagine if you're Carolina, and you the first goal goes in, and you're not exactly buzzing around like it wasn't a flute goal or anything. You're like, fuck, man, this is this is tough. And the second one goes in, and then your goalie gets hurt, and all of a sudden the the it's deflating, mm-hmm. absolutely deflating. Um, what do you think of Rod Brindamore's comments, basically saying? We're good, but we don't have elite scoring. Is that a shot across the bow, or is that just kind of an emotional response? No, it's a
1: shot across the bow. I mean, you look at how Waddle, I think it's still Don Waddle there, right? In Carolina. Yes. Has yeah. run that team. Just like they spent a lot of money on Jesperi Kotkaniemi, uh, and like it, he's not an elite scorer. He's a third line player. He's a damn good third line player, but he's a third line player they paid him a lot of money just to spite the Montreal Canadiens for giving that off for offer. a long time, for a long too. time. Would you think, I mean, he'd obviously get more than what, you know, yes, Barry's getting paid, but like, wouldn't you be better off putting that money towards a Philip Forsberg run in the off season? Like put Philip Forsberg on the Carolina hurricanes and they didn't have that foresight. They just wanted to spite the Montreal Canadiens with that offer sheet as payback for Sebastian Ajo. So I think it is a shot across the bow in ways. And you know what? The stats back it up. They were terrible on the power play, and that is not sustainable for success either. They went ice cold on the power play in round two against the New York Rangers.
0: So if you are Don Waddle, you have a ton of decisions to make this offseason. You had one of the best regular seasons in Hurricanes history, if not the best. And now you're looking at re-signing Marty Natchez, Matt Domi, Nino Niederreiter, Benny Trocek, Ethan Bear, Tony D'Angelo, and then like an Ian Cole, Brendan Smith combo, who probably won't get a lot of money. But like, what do you what do you do there? Are you trying to build the same team? Or do you take some money off the table, maybe on the defensive end, with a Tony D'Angelo who's gonna go get paid elsewhere, basically rehabbed his image, right?
1: Mm, well, so that was where my first point was gonna be. He did do some stupid shit in the series against the New York Rangers.
0: He was uh, a clean as a whistle up until the playoffs, to me.
1: Yeah, he he had a good regular season for the most part, and then he decided to revert to the old Tony D'Angelo. So, to your point, they might be able to get away with no other team wanting to pick up his baggage, and might be able to get him. They're gonna have to pay him a little bit more, but maybe not as much as he can get on the open market, and it's affordable for the Carolina. Well, he
0: Hurricanes. so he isn't he is an RFA, so they I, I, I'm sure they could deny that, right, mm. and say, okay, we're gonna you know we're not gonna you have to you. qualify and man. then and then yeah and then you're a UFA but I, the,
1: to me so like game six the game was for the most part over at that point but Carolina they were I think the game was three nothing or three one in the third period in game six at Madison Square Garden Carolina is about to go in the power play I think it was Jacob Truba, Truba or Keandre Miller takes a tripping penalty and then the plays offsides and then Tony D'Angelo shoots the puck on Igor Shesterkin like 10 minutes after the whistle now it's four on four the Rangers convert on that four on four Dumb. Dumb, and that's the Tony D'Angelo that is an idiot and that he's in the position that he's in because of that Tony D'Angelo. So maybe Carolina brings it back if they can tolerate him for a cheaper deal because on the biggest stage, he crumbled.
0: Who was more in Tony D'Angelo's head? Ryan Reeves or Gerard Gallant? Or maybe himself, honestly.
1: Himself, the New York Rangers. Himself and the New York Rangers. I think he came into that series with a lot of pressure. To score and be the Tony D'Angelo. Because look, don't get me wrong. Tony D'Angelo, without being Tony, if you took the personality and the name off the player and he was just player X with a silhouette around him, kind of how I look because I'm anonymous, mm-hmm. he'd be like a $7.5 million defenseman with the way he plays sure. the game and runs a power play and how that's in demand in this league. But he's Tony D'Angelo. I think he had a lot of pressure on that going into Madison Square Garden. The crowd got on him, the crowd got in his head. He was too busy chirping. And then to see Ryan Reeves laugh in his face and the series was just over for him. I mean, he scored a garbage goal in game seven after the game was over. But that was the only point he had in the entire series against the New York Rangers.
0: It's, t- it's tough. It's tough. And you know what? They, they are going to have space because they, they don't have the Toronto problem where three guys are making $11 million. Ajo's at 8-4. Sveshnikov's at 7-7. Seven, seven. Jordan Stahl's at 6. Tara Vienin's at 5-4. Kotiniemi made some bottom automo- up. but it's 4-8. It's, it's not killing you. But to re-sign some of these guys, Naitch's, you know, I don't know what you do with Domi, good fourth line guy, but does he want to be a fourth line guy? Do you want him as a fourth line guy? I want him in Buffalo, to be honest with you. Um, yeah. So what do you what do you do, what do you see in their forward department that, or do you see a, a lack of? something right is is that tailor-made for a Forsberg at nine and a half million dollars
1: it's tailor-made for a Forsberg I think Forsberg would be great on that club you have a young center in Seth Jarvis who can generate offense and I mean and like two
0: more years of of, of basically free Seth Jarvis free Seth
1: Jarvis and we and Marty Natchez as well who's a great two-way center in the National Hockey League and is turning into one you have guys like Sveshnikov and Ajo Sveshnikov was you know non-existent for the most part in that round two series. So was Sebastian Ajo. I think Ian Cole was like the generator of most offense through the first four games of that series, and that's no way to sustain success. So yeah, they need as many...
0: just a little shot there. You know, I
1: don't love the analogy with everything that's going on in the country, but like you need to load up. You need to restock the arms. You need to uh, re-ammo yourself. You know what I mean? And as many guys as you could have in the armory as possible in Philip Forsberg or any offensive talent, it helps, especially in the playoffs when if one guy is cold, the next guy will just step up and be hot. And Does that's, that make – Yeah, uh, that's what I think with Carolina.
0: Does that make Vinny Trocek the odd man out?
1: He's a heart and soul UF player, but yeah.
0: 20, 28-year-old UFA.
1: Yeah, I'd let him walk. And I know Carolina fans are not going to be happy with me saying that, but I'd let Vinny Trocek walk if you are able to bring in another player that can provide some more offense to that club.
0: Yeah, I think that's going to hurt the least. Good player, really like the player. Just like he made four seven five last year, UFA twenty eight. I'm not going to pay him, you know, five five for another seven years.
1: Exactly. I'd rather take that five five, add another two and a half, and you know, go get yourself a uh, Phil Forsberg,
0: something like that. Um, let's go to. That, that kind of covers the the playoffs, right? Anything anything else in the bubble right now, whether it's the Edmonton-Colorado series, whether it's the Tampa-Carolina series, or uh, excuse me, Tampa-New York, anything else today happening before we kind of get into the whip around portion of the episode?
1: No. I, I mean, that solves the playoffs for now. I'm really interested to see how both these game twos go. I think they're more pivotal. Obviously, we have to talk about them, but they're more pivotal. Um than the first the first games of the series because I want to see how Tampa bounces back, and I think Edmonton has a chance against the backup Pavel Frensos in the net.
0: Game two tonight, I am riding with Edmonton. Uh, let's look around the league a little bit, shall we? We are where in the coaching carousel with Barry Trotz, with Rick Tockett, NRD? Anything pressing that you want to get off your chest immediately?
1: So... With Barry Trotz, Emily Kaplan, good friend of the show, um, longtime listener, mentioned uh, last week on ESPN that there are some around the league that believe there might be something done between Barry Trotz and Vegas. Barry Trotz has had conversations with Vegas, and in fact, he's had a very fortuitous and gracious offer from the Vegas Golden Knights to be behind the bench for them next season. Barry Trotz is not committed to anything yet. He's still taking his time. Some people wonder if that's his agent shopping around that offer and other people wonder if Barry Trotz really just might want to go back to the farm, you know, and, and take his time. We don't know, really so, know what the way it is, but I don't think a deal is done yet between Vegas and Barry Trotz. Not saying it won't happen and not saying like full credit to Emily once again, just like the Winnipeg thing that didn't come to fruition. Full credit to where it's due, but I just from what I know, it's not done yet.
0: I have some odds on Barry Trotz. Are you ready for this? Yeah. Winnipeg, three and a half to one. Philadelphia, four to one, Detroit and Vegas both at five to one. Dallas, six and a half to one, Florida, nine and a half to one. Anything you liked there as far as odds go, or does that kind of fall in line with what you think as far as smoke goes?
1: I don't know if Winnipeg should be the favorite.
0: Oh, okay. From
1: you know what I said last week on this podcast and from the more conversations I've had with sources in Winnipeg. Mm-hmm. I just don't, I don't think that Barry Trotz is going to return home. And I say that in air quotes, Brett can see it. You guys can't to, to Winnipeg. He's, he's had a house in Nashville for quite some time now, since he coached there, he obviously relocated via Washington to the Island with the New York Islanders. So I don't see it as like this big homecoming for Barry Trotz. I don't know if he wants to take that challenge in Winnipeg.
0: Does this, it kind of feels like a hurry up and wait coaching carousel season like there's usually somebody named, right? Like Marty St. Louis, for example, named the coach. He's he's doing his thing. Um, but but why is there not sort of or is it sort of the trots domino falls and then uh, it's a rush?
1: I don't think the trots domino is going to be the one that sets off the chain of events, because I think I am in the camp of he's taking his time for his own personal reasons. I don't think it's shopping offers. I'm sure his agent is doing the best by him and shopping those offers in the meantime, but I think Barry Trotz can take another month if he really wants to. And teams are going to act quicker than that.
0: How about a, uh, how about the TV guys talk and Tortorella
1: both have interviewed with Philly. I think that if Philly does take one of the TV guys, it's going to be Rick Tockett over John Tortorella. I still think that Philadelphia and they have the opportunity. Now I'm, you know, have to touch base again to see if that conversation took place but jim montgomery in philly mm-hmm. yeah, and you know
0: as he is now out of the playoffs out of the the playoffs
1: players. yep and uh, our good friend elliot said that oh it's been set out there yeah it was set on the cold stove podcast you know what you're talking <laughs> about elliot um you yeah, add me next time but yeah jim montgomery a big fan he's got a big fan in the organization of the philadelphia flyers they're gonna speak to him i still think he'd be a great coach for that club and the most interesting team now i mean I still think it's Stevie. Y. we talked about it last week? I, they're going to go off the board. I I know they're going to go off the board.
0: Does that mean like a? Oh, I don't know, Pete DeBoer, maybe a Mike Babcock reunion? How about that?
1: I don't know if it's a retread in Detroit. I think it's off the oh, board okay. in a well-deserving assistant coach or a well-deserving AHL coach who can take. How that about next college?
0: Step. Is there any college coaches that come to mind? Or like you know the the perennial Ricard board talk? I don't think.
1: Those like the college white whales or the European white whales. I think it's an it's NHL coach, assistant coach that's well deserving, or perhaps like a guy like Benny Krul, a, a winner at the AHL level, who Stevie Weiss is comfortable with.
0: Imagine, uh, imagine this scenario on RD. Speaking of uh, Red Wings in the news, certain trailer comes out last week. Everybody gets everybody fired up. The early two thousands Avalanche versus Red Wings. There's a coach, uh he might be in Canada right now, coaching a uh coaching a junior team. Might have played goalie. No.
1: Nope, we're not going there. <laughs> you know where I am going though, besides Saint Patrick himself?
0: Come on. We're It'd at.
1: be fun. Uh Derek Lalonde. Well deserving of a head coaching job. Oh, okay. On John Cooper. What's
0: his what's his story?
1: He's on he's on John Cooper's staff in Tampa Bay. He was brought in with John okay. Cooper. He's been John Cooper's, you know. Right hand. Right hand man man for quite some time now, obviously has a Stevie Y connection as well and is deserving of an NHL coaching shot and has had interviews in years past. I look at Benny Gruel. I look at, you know, Derek Lalonde as guys for the Detroit Red Wings, where it's off the map enough where we're not talking about, you know, it's not a Mike Babcock Babcock or something like that. But it's a Stevie Y pick, just like we talked about Mo Sider being the pick and like, what the hell is Stevie Y doing? But Stevie Y knows.
0: and would Stevie Y also have connected with him at some point in the Tampa years? Yeah,
1: they, they overlapped completely. Okay. He was part of John Cooper's staff when Stevie Y brought up Cooper through the system.
0: So there you go. I like that. Um I, I hate that you you hate my Patrick Wah theory, but that would be maybe fun someday. though.
1: How how much fun would that oh, be? Oh
0: my god, if Patrick Waugh was the coach of the Red Wings, I think there would just be a collective like NHL aneurysm.
1: I <laughs> open up the multiverse of the NHL.
0: Open up the multiverse is right. Uh, we mentioned Marty St. Louis. Uh, St. Louis. St. Louis. St. Louis. Marty St. Louis. Can't talk today. Marty St. Louis. We mentioned him briefly. Anything that you want to add to uh, his tenure? You know, an interim coach who stepped in with with Hughes and, and Gordon and those guys and and now full-on head coach the Montreal Canadiens.
1: I think you broke that scoop like three or four weeks ago on this podcast you said they're locking them up it's done deal um so shots to you thank you shots to you because that only um, became official like a couple of days ago
0: <laughs> yeah no i it was more it was more educated guessing with a little bit of smoke on that but nothing that i could have reported no but, yeah.
1: but good job we're a cold stove pod we're on top of it you know
0: what i can report actually all right i, I did hear this uh mike pekka Getting thrown around, like, bumped up to NHL, either assistant coach. I don't think it'll be a head coach. But I think Mike Peck will be much more involved, whether it's Buffalo um, or another team on on an NHL bench versus coaching in, in Rochester next year. We'll see. I know teams like him. I think it's going to be he, – he, gonna, he's going to kind of pick his opportunities. He's got enough money, that Michael Peck. Islander's great, by the way.
1: You want one more name that I'm going to throw in this?
0: Sure. Kirk
1: Muller in this coaching search.
0: I haven't heard that name in a, in a minute. Why Kirk Muller?
1: There's connections with Kirk Muller and teams. I'm going to I'm going to leave it at this and people can draw the straws. There's a connection with Kirk Muller and a top free agent that's about to hit the free agent pool potentially and a team that's okay. looking for a coach and said top free agent. Do of that as you
0: wish. Okay, I will leave it there. Before we move on from coaching, I'm just going to throw. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start the like the the musical chairs here. Mm-hmm. Nrd couple names. Reach Reds guys that haven't been in the league in a second. Like like I mentioned, Babcock, Bonus, Quenville, Travis Green, Claude Julien, Blashill, DeBoer. Alain Vigneault, Guy Boucher, do any of these names do anything for you, or is that just kind of the, they're getting phone calls at their cottages more than anything and saying, I don't know, thanks, but no thanks?
1: Yeah, I think it's the la- the latter of what you just mentioned. None of those names really stand out to me, and good, right? Good, I think we've all um, been wanting some fresh blood behind the bench in the National Hockey League, and we're seeing. You
0: know who I, I think will get another chance at some point? Who is a, Dave, a David Quinn? Yeah,
1: well-deserving of one. I mean, he really, out of all those names you just mentioned, he's probably the least of the retread in that mm-hmm. he was a college coach. He was you know, thrown in to develop the rebuilding New York Rangers. They make the switch to the Galant this year. Clearly, the Rangers made the right move, right? Like by firing Gorton and Davidson and Quinn for saying that they're ready to take the next step. They did. So kudos to James Dolan for calling that
0: one right. Sure. Um, he doesn't get a lot of kudos, but NRD will will give yeah. him kudos here. Just
1: to James Dolan, he got something right. Um, but yeah, like Quinn's well deserving another another shot. The only yeah. thing is, is there a rebuilding team out there that's looking for a coach? Because I don't know if David Quinn's the coach that you want to bring in for a team that's on the cusp of or competing. From what I heard in New York, and this is a little insight into the tenure of David Quinn. There were a lot of things that didn't mesh between some of the veteran players and David Quinn. Like they were on the team bus at a certain time. There was no beers on the team bus. There was we're gonna do things this way. We're all gonna have you know a ten thirty lunch pow hour, ten thirty breakfast. So he powwows. right he,
0: he he runs a he runs a college. He program. runs a
1: college program in the National Hockey it's League. It's the it, Jim. It's the Jim Harbaugh effect. Exactly, and it worked well for some of the young guys in the New York Rangers. I think he's mm-hmm. you know large in part responsible for what happened with Keandre Miller there and. He got Tony D'Angelo on the right track um, to be paid what he got paid before he got bought out by the New York Rangers and, you know, all those guys. But for the veterans, it rubs them the wrong way. So I think for, for a team that's looking at David Quinn, you have to be a team that really wants to develop not just one or two young guys and the rest of the team are vets. You have to have six, seven, eight guys under the age of 25. I'll say 25, you know, and want a system of winning and a system of culture and a system of how to be a pro. Um, there. Not you don't bring David Quinn on a team like Dallas and say go win a Stanley Cup.
0: How about Detroit?
1: They're ready though. To me, they're on the cusp. I think so too.
0: There's a changing I, I of do the do guard think, in the Eastern I Conference. I think so too. But they're still they're still young. Like let's not get that. Is they're still young, even though they get Mantha back, who's a you know a veteran. He's a young veteran, but he's a veteran. I don't hate that, but you think they need a, a sort of a hard ass at this point. I think the, a win now. I think Detroit has that. the
1: opportunity. I still think there's a changing of guard in the Eastern Conference and that in large part, that's because of how Steve Eisenman is drafted over the years and Detroit and New Jersey and teams like that are ready to take the next step as the Pittsburgh's and the Washington's and the Columbuses kind of fall out. Man, maybe, maybe even was, Florida. Maybe... Do we see Florida having the same success next year?
0: Oh, God. You know, with Florida, it's so interesting, though, because is like is brunette staying did, did the playoffs kind of prove that they're a regular season or, or at least that brunette in the regular season can set the thing on cruise control and they can you know get a 110 points but in the playoffs when you actually have to coach and it's zero zero and your record doesn't matter a, a shit in the playoffs other than you get four home games is he still there and and would Quenville, you know, depending on what happens legally there, would he come back? I don't think you can at that point. I think you'd have to go fresh start somewhere else, if even possible, which obviously is months, if not years, away. So I I don't know. I I probably say if I'm if I'm the the GM in Florida, I I don't I remember who it is. Zito. Do you say? I think we kind of not blow it up, obviously, but but we need a new guy at the helm here, and that, to me, is is sort of a Claude Julien. Spell.
1: Sorry, Bill Zito, Barry Zito. pitch. Bill's, Bill Zito, Barry Zito's Pitcher the uh, for the nasty
0: nasty curveball for
1: the Zito. Detroit Giants. Uh, not for the Detroit Giants, for San Francisco Giants. Yeah, sorry.
0: Maybe like a like Claude Julien kind of you know redo in Florida, but I you know I don't know. We we talk about it a lot, like. Would Paul Maurice go down to to Miami, live there in the sun for a bit, and just kind of put it on cruise control and then know how to coach a team in the playoffs?
1: If he wants to just have a good time and enjoy life. It's sort of a retirement. Yeah, it's like retirement. I could see it, but we haven't heard from Paul Maurice in quite some time now. I thought he was earmarked for the New Jersey Devils job. Speaking of which, I got a devil scoop, so I'm here whenever you want it, Brett.
0: Before we get to your devil scoop, can we talk about a retiring player in Jason Spezza? What comes to mind when you think of Spezza?
1: Heatley, Alfredson, Spetzer.
0: What a what a team! Mm-hmm. What a
1: team! Wade Redden, Zidane Chara.
0: Yeah, it was it was Craig Anderson the goalie at some point there too? Later
1: on, Ray Emery.
0: Emery, rest in peace. Yep. Uh, Spetzer, one of one of my polarizing guy, uh, especially in the media, kind of said what was on his mind, which I think a lot of people appreciated, mm-hmm. especially in the hockey culture. One of those guys you could always count on in the playoffs to score a bunch of points and you know terrorize the Buffalo Sabers. So uh, gonna miss having him, you know, popping up here and there. That Spets is getting goals. Same thing with yeah, like it it just kind of feels like Patty Marlowes of the world and like the our generation of hockey, the sort of the 2002 to 2008 guys. They're they're dwindling, man. Yeah, it's it's tough. The 2003 legendary draft, Mm -hmm. right um okay let's get to your new jersey devils scoop nrd what's uh what's hot off the presses in your world
1: they're continuing to look at good goalies in the net to push Mackenzie blackwood maybe push him up the chain or push him to the side even Mm -hmm. and they are we reported this way back when march seems like eons ago at this point um but for the deadline but new jersey will feverishly monitor the situation in St. Louis with Billy Husso and Jordan Bennington.
0: Interesting. Interesting. Okay. So there, there's your scoop. There's your scoop. Um, this week, NRD, speaking of, of interesting things going on, NHL Combine Week, much like the World Championships, I'm going to ask you this. Do you care? No.
1: I think, McDavid, what did McDavid do, like a pull-up? Half a pull-up? Was he able to hang on the bar uh, for like Casey, four seconds? Casey
0: Middlestat did zero pull-ups famously, yeah. and people still tease him for that. So, I but like the NFL combine is a huge deal. Yeah,
1: because the so how does
0: the NHL how does the NHL get to something like that? You know how I think they do it, at NRD. I think the NHL combine, you know, you can do measurements, but you throw the force plates out the window, you throw the oxygen tests out the window, whatever. You can still do them make this a showcase. Let's play. Let's scrimmage. That's all the kids want to do. Mm-hmm. They're all 18 years old. They're not going to get hurt. Like tone down the checking a little bit or like, three on uh, three. Inf- you know, three on three, four on four, half fight, like something get like that. W- I would watch every single scrimmage. If it's like mm-hmm. red, blue, green, gold, black, white teams. And you all have a team of 11 guys or whatever, mm-hmm. kind of be it the two lines, two pairs of D and you play like seven minutes, seven minutes, seven minutes. And it's just these rapid fire showcase style things. I'd watch every single second of that. And maybe you even like manufacture power plays too. It's like, okay, seven minutes of of real hockey and then a power play for each team. Mm-hmm. You you each get PP1, uh, and you and you see who's got what. Yeah. And every game ends in a shootout. Like boom. whatever.
1: Yeah. Whatever you gotta do. Fix I agree. It. It's the reason why the NFL combine is so exciting is because you have They're playing football. It's Yes, it's not a game, but they're playing football. Quarterbacks are throwing. Receivers are Mm -hmm. running routes. You know, you got the 40-yard dash, which is, in my opinion, overrated, but it's still the tried and true test of speed in football. With the NHL, like you're saying, the oxygen, nobody wants to watch a guy wear an oxygen mask and ride a bike for 20 minutes. It doesn't do anything for anybody. So if the NHL wants to make it a spectacle, I agree to your point completely. Make it a three-on-three scrimmage. Add in whatever quirks you want to add in. If they don't want to make it to the spectacle, I'll continue to not care, and I'll just make fun of it's whoever. It's such doesn't a good opportunity,
0: right? It's such a good opportunity to to in like inject some some life into the NHL. You know, playoffs are going on, so you probably, in my opinion, do it after the Stanley Cup, and then so then it's like Stanley Cups presented. People are still rabid about hockey. You do it end of June, two weeks before the draft. And you turn it into a showcase. Like they, the kids have been doing showcases literally their entire lives. That's why half of them are in the position they're mm-hmm. in. You you kind of enforce like a beer lead checking rule where it's like contact is allowed, but you can't hit somebody. Yeah. And and you go from there and you play hockey. I think that would I I'd, I'd tune in all the time and be like, okay, is this Slorovsky kid for real? Is Shane Wright for real? And because now that now you're best on best, mm-hmm. right? Having these kids play in these pro leagues or junior leads, and they play against good competition, but how many times outside of the world, juniors, do you really get like best on best? And and this is kind of a problem in hockey in general. How often do you get best on best hockey like anywhere? It's sort of like a soccer problem too, where, you know, the USA B team is playing Morocco's B team half the time in these friendlies. It's like, uh, yeah, you get to see young kids, but... There's no juice being brought. No excitement. Combine's cool because everybody, you know, everybody's there mm-hmm. and doing stuff. Granted, it's a little different lately because everybody's like, "Oh, I'm not doing the bench," or "I'm not doing this." But kids would like kids would play because hockey's not the the injury riddled sport that it used to be. That football is. You can keep contact to a minimum, minimum if you especially if you go three like on that.
1: three. Contact right, to a minimum on, anyway.
0: The only reason I would say no to three on three is because it, it, it doesn't become hockey. It, it becomes the overtime, like possession game. I just think that's more I, in
1: light of like the NFL skills, skills competition. Uh, the, the oh, it it's not really yeah. football, but they are running routes and they are making plays and they are catching the ball and their the quarterbacks are throwing the ball. So if you wanted that, then I would say three on three. But to your point, I agree with the scrimmage too. Just normal five on five.
0: Yeah, I would give, give me, give me, uh, like the, what do they used to do? They do, like, you get three teams on the ice and two teams play each other, and then the third team plays each other, take, like everybody takes a period off type yeah. of thing. You just get, you get best on best hockey. Mm-hmm. So then I can see Rutger McGroady, future Buffalo Saber. I can see Frank Nazar, future Buffalo Saber. Like, I wanna see guys in a, an environment where they're going up against the best players in their age group competing for draft position, mm-hmm. right? Like, think about how important it is in hockey to be top 10 or top, top 15. Cause like the chances of you panning out, not only increase, but you get a bigger opportunity sooner because these teams are looking for kids to step in and, and be
1: played. I agree.
0: So there's how you fix the NHL combine. You put it on ESPN, ESPN two. Boom. And you have a product and you have a product. Yeah. You can get Elliot Merrick there, get you and I there. We'll talk to kids. Get Proner there, teach him about finances, <laughs> travel, and Taxes. finances. Yeah. yeah, there you go. Uh, NRD, anything else before we bounce today? A little bit of a, an abbreviated episode.
1: No, I mean, this is fun. We are in the home stretch for the NHL mm-hmm. season, but we are not in the home stretch for the Cold Stove podcast. Let me tell you that things are our season really. I mean, our season is always going, we don't stop you and I, Brett, but our season really oh, yeah. kicks up again for the draft. Will, the free uh, there's
0: a pretty good. There's a pretty good six weeks there. We'll, we'll, we'll be at cottages with the rest of them late July and August. But other than that, we don't stop. No,
1: this, in fact, we're – I mean, for me at least, the insider, if you will, the people's insider. Some have said – I haven't said it, but some have said so. Um, the people's insider is ready to go for the draft and free agency. Oh,
0: let's rock, baby. Let's rock. I can't wait. Uh, that'll do it for Cold Stove. I am Brett Merriman, your host at Schmerriman. Instagram and Twitter, that's NRD at NHL Rumors Daily. On Twitter, he's not going anywhere, right?
1: Not fucking leaving.
0: Not fucking leaving. We are Cold Stove Pod at Cold Stove Pod on both Instagram and Twitter. Look for more from those properties here in the near future. There you go. Wink, wink. Nudge, nudge. Uh, good deal. Enjoy the uh, enjoy the games. We'll see you guys next yep. week.